The Department of Water and Sanitation has unveiled the latest in a long line of plans to address the issues at the problematic Royval Wastewater Treatment Plant. Upgrades at the facility were halted during the first of three phases after companies belonging to a state capture accused Edwin Sodi failed to complete work despite being awarded a 295 million rand tender. The tender had allegedly been irregularly awarded by the city of Tswane in 2019. The city has set aside 450 million rand to complete phase one of the upgrades over three years, but both Swane and the Department of Water and Sanitation have placed the cost of fully rehabilitating Royval at a whopping 4 billion rand over at least another three years. So, what is it about the 50-year-old Royval Wastewater Works? The dysfunctionality of the plant has resulted in its continued pollution of the Apis River, which flows into the Lyokral Dam, where the timber water treatment works is supposed to purify the dam water and distribute it to households. But the timber plant is not able to cope with the level of pollution in the dam and therefore produces water that is not suitable for human consumption. And as municipal infrastructure expert and lecturer at the University of Cape Town, Kunduma Swim explains, it's a little more complex than that. The first water and sanitation network in the area was built before 1972. So it was built by the uh, apartheid government. There were few people who resided in the area. But then in 1972, the area was then taken over the, by the government of Bukatswana. And the government of Bukatswana built more reticulation network. What we can confirm is that it is very unlikely that the drawings coming from 1972 and the drawings that were handed over uh, in 1994 that came from the Brazona government will be up to date showing where each sewer line uh, lies, what, is, what type of pipe is there and what is the size of the pipe. It's very unlikely that that detail is there. The city of Swana would need to demonstrate that at some point they went and they mapped the whole sewer network uh, so they know what is where. So for that reason, they have inherited a network which they continue to extend when the population increased. And in extending the network, it is possible that they could have come too close uh, in some instances to the sewer pipelines that were already on the ground and not uh, really uh, understood. The science is that you don't put a water pipe under the sewer pipe. All the time, the water pipe must be above. In phase one of the National Infrastructure Plan 2050, published in March last year, the then Public Works Minister Patricia DeLille warned there was a high risk of water restrictions being imposed in all of the country's eight metros over the next five years. She also quotes the National Water Master Plan as saying that in the absence of timely interventions, demand for water will exceed the available supply at a deficit of around 10 to 15 percent of the required water by the year 2030. Estimates indicated that seven out of 13 major water systems could be in deficit by 2040, and that although interventions had been identified, decisions and implementation by the relevant authorities had been delayed. We asked Maswime, why has the maintenance and improvement of water infrastructure not been made a priority if access to portable water is a basic human right and the lack of maintenance is a risk to government's ability to adequately fulfill its obligation? There is an infrastructure management plan. Different municipalities give it different names. That infrastructure management plan is developed by the engineer uh, who would have, with the understanding of the network, say we need to upgrade here and here and here, or this year we'll need this much and so on. 
But then that budgeting process then goes through the political process of IDP. It is also met with other competing needs. So in many instances, the the water and sanitation, by virtue of them being underground services, it's unlikely that they will win the day in, in being budgeted for, unless there's a disaster like this. They might be there. There might even be a, an estimate of how much it's supposed to, to cost. But if it is going through the political process, there might be preference to build a road uh, because everyone can see there's a road. With the Department of Water and Sanitation and the municipality now in talks with Treasury while considering a loan from the Development Bank of Southern Africa, even if the hurdle of funding is overcome, Maswimi explains there's a concerning shortage of skilled engineers in the country's municipalities. The one big challenge that Swane has, and it's not unique to them, because 90% of the wastewater treatment plants in the country, there are almost a, a thousand that have been checked. 90% of those wastewater treatment plants are not treating the water to the quality that the license of the plant requires. So they are way below the license requirement and the bulk of them are what we call activated sludge uh, plants. So they've got a very set treatment process. So what we are seeing is that most of the plants are receiving much more storage than their license requires. So already you know that once that is the case, the treatment cannot be to the right quality. If we can take a plant that has got more than 30 megalitres, at least you need to have an engineer in sight. If we can take a sample of uh, all these 1,000 or so wastewater treatment plants in the country, I can assure you that less than 1% of them uh, will be having an engineer in sight who has the requisite knowledge of wastewater uh, treatment. So the activated sludge process across the country has been very problematic. Uh, At some point, out of, I think, 14 uh, wastewater treatment plants, they had only one that was discharging to the right quality as required by the license. We don't know what the situation is now. That was about three years ago. This is also true at Royval as admitted by President Sol Ramaphosa during his visit to the area. I did not see good technical proficiency at the waterworks and also the human capital aspect. A huge waterworks which uh, covers a footprint of 200 hectares, which does not have an engineer, is just a recipe for failure. And uh, waterworks of that size and complexity, bringing in water, effluent from various sources needs to have focused experts who know their work and we don't have that here in Breva. There's also been allegations of a water tanker mafia capitalizing on the city's inability to supply drinking water in Hamanskral and surrounding areas. In the streets of Hamanskral, the rumor is that some business people were unhappy when the city reduced the frequency of water tanker visits to the area and cut the budget for the service earlier this year. Residents believe this was reason enough for suppliers to cut corners on hygiene and even collect water from undesignated points, increasing the risk of contamination. Local farmer Dennis Fogel has taken the city to court as he claims his is one of 80 farms affected by the sewage contamination after boreholes had been rendered useless when the sludge coming from Dweval 
contaminate the underground water. We have farmers here, 80 farmers here, uh, that borders are polluted by Suri's, uh, a result of uh, Suri's works in the, the way it's functioning because nothing is functioning at, at the moment. 100% Suri is going into the river. And uh, because of that, on the 1st of March, Tswane just stopped delivery of 55 trucks for uh, our farmers and the people in Amanskral. And uh, then we have to approach the court on the 3rd of March. And uh, on the 3rd of March, uh, uh, the judge uh, make adjustment that they must uh, start delivering water again. They start only deliver water on the 7th and only three days, Monday, Wednesday and uh, Saturday. But it's too late because we have cattle. Of course, they take the water away from the people of, of Amaskra. That caused that the people die because there's no water. And now they must start drinking polluted water out of the taps and uh, digging even pit holes. And next to it, sometimes there's a pit toilet. Maswimia confirms the contamination of underground water is a very real consequence of poor sanitation management. For a borehole to really insulate it against contamination is almost uh, impossible because the storage percolates the ground and then it contaminates uh, groundwater. And then when the groundwater is contaminated, you pump it, it comes out through the bowl and only then uh, you get to realize that the water is contaminated. So it puts them uh, under a lot of uh, risk. I can imagine if you sink a bowl in a month's ground now uh, because of the water shortages, you put yourself at a great risk of contamination still. The city reportedly spends more than 400 million a year on the outsourcing of more than 80 water tankers to mitigate against poor access. But even that is not foolproof. Maswimi explains monitoring tankers is any municipality's worst nightmare. The big challenge with tankers, you appoint a service provider or the city uses their own fleet. The question is, where does that tanker get its water from? Because you might find that when the pressure is very high, they will still get it somewhere in a part of Hamanskran where there is water. It is not always a solution. In fact, in many instances, we have seen municipalities fighting with these operators for not cleaning the tanks before they fill them up with water. So from a safety point of view, you can't say the tanker will actually solve the problem. Either way, you still need to boil the water and and have it at least distilled in in one way or another before it's used. So it's not so much a a solution. It's also a very expensive way of addressing the problem. Beyond the cogs and screws and technical jargon is the plight of a community whose rights have been continually violated by the very government that should protect them. And now, with a health emergency emanating from an unresolved water crisis in the form of the cholera outbreak, healthcare workers find themselves at the coalface of a deadly disaster. Here's Nursing Union Denosa's Bongani Mazibugo, who challenges the Gauteng Health Department's assertion that there is no staff shortage at the Jubilee Hospital, which is a health facility at the centre of the outbreak, having to treat dozens of patients presenting with cholera-related symptoms. We totally did not agree with the sentiment that there was uh, adequate staff. We have long been advocating and saying that there's a shortage of staff in the Department of Health uh, in Gauteng as well. The truth of the matter is that the current staffing complement of, of the department in Gauteng was last highest or looked into 2006. So the services that are being offered currently and uh, the population of Gauteng has grown and the services are more now. Those nurses that were being employed at that time cannot be adequate to address the current challenges in the department. This resident, who asked not to be named, says the treatment of her mother, who'd contracted cholera, was subjected to at Jubilee Hospital, was appalling. Jubilee is very dead. Your, your mama was there. 
They don't care about people. Makeshift hospital has been set up at an open field in Kanana in collaboration with humanitarian health organizations, UNICEF, the WHO and Doctors Without Borders to alleviate pressure on the hospital. The WHO's Dr. Owen Kalua said the facility, which has up to 20 health staff, including nurses, doctors and emergency personnel on site, would remain operational for the equivalent of two incubation cycles of the cholera bacteria from the day the last known patient is treated. In its last update, the National Health Department said the disease had largely been limited to Gauteng and the Free State, and its latest records showed a steady decline in the number of new cases reported. The department continued to urge members of the public to practice good hygiene by washing their hands with soap, especially after using the bathroom.